Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast where we are here to kill Zero. I can't. I wish I could do Shinji Ikari like that dude does. That he's he does such a good. So, like, how would they know? Did they peek into the future and know that there was going to be this like little creepo named Rolo Tony Brown <laughs> for Shinji to voice? Anyway, I'm your host, um, Ignis Maddox, joined as always by PMC Trilogy and Steven Sword of Akasha Hero. Boys, how are you doing? How you how you doing this evening? Are, are you ready? I, I You know, we're going to get to talking about our episode. I shouldn't just be like, <laughs> what, what are we doing? But, you know, I, I, I feel like there's my initial reaction from beginning Code Geass again is a lot of like raised eyebrows and a lot of like, well, I don't know, looking into a bag labeled Dead Dove and saying, well, I don't know what to expect. I mean, I'm I'm always excited to attack into Throne God, so you know I, some I things have that? caught my interest. But PMC's you know, really we'll reading there. from my notes right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it comes up. It's funny how that just kind of comes up, but it's fine. We'll we'll get there eventually. But you know, typically, typically here on Mechanations, we we spend a little bit of time warming right up to that conversation. So I I apologize for this tease as I as I accidentally peek behind the curtain a little tiny bit. I know you saw the title of the podcast, but you know, you know how it is. I'm supposed to pretend you don't know what it is you're listening to. Or I I don't know, it's in the podcast bylaws that we're all supposed to sign. Um but PMC <laughs> Uh, I, I want, I turn to you as always to, to take this, uh, introduction part away from me and, and speak about something that you've been working on. And, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're shills, we're sellouts. And, and I feel like this latest thing that we're shilling and selling out is maybe our most honest, maybe I feel like. Yeah. I mean, so I'm not going to go into details because I think a lot of people really value, uh, some of the twists of this game, but I had mentioned previously that I played around a little bit with Umarangi Generation, I think, on the, briefly on last week's pod, and I just really want to come back to really sell it again. Uh, I enjoy games that have you explore first-person spaces a lot, uh, and this is a game with, uh, you know, sort of re- relevant content on many levels. Uh, you know, it draws on tropes from fiction that we're all familiar with, uh, it has very good thematic content in terms of, you know, talking about just being around in a world that sometimes feels like it's dying uh, and, and what it is like to, to live through that sort of experience. Uh, and it's just also kind of fun to play. Uh, you know, the further you get into the game, uh, you know, the further you, it's a photography game. So surprise, you unlock further lenses, you unlock some additional movement abilities uh, and those things. You know, I've started speedrunning the game, of course, you know, as I am want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you get things like speed skates or, 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 you know, double jumps and things like that, you know, that allow you to move quickly and, and sort of change up what you can do. Uh, and I've been playing around with that. And uh, actually, I had the opportunity, the, the developer stopped by the stream, uh, the Ooh. head developer, Vasalikov, and, uh, you know, kind of chatted and, you know, asked, asked for my feedback about some things, which was kind of kind of interesting. But apparently they're putting out a new patch soon. Um, you know that will be uh, enabling speedrunning in, in the sense of providing an in-game timer, providing different rule sets, you know, enabling disabling cool. items, that kind of thing. So, um, it's a game that you know a lot, has received a lot of critical acclaim uh, in 2020, and uh, and I they're going to continue supporting it as far as I can tell. So, uh, you know, ne- never been a, a better time to hop on. Always liked the style of it. Really liked the way it seems to move and groove. It seems like the way that it is about like that kind of maneuvering in 3D space feels like it's it's your jam, baby. 
I I feel like I'm curious to see where this goes moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I think I compared it last time to Paratopic, and uh, and I and I think that this has like you know I, Paratopic was a meaty game as well, despite being short and bite sized to play. But I feel like this has a lot more to like dig into if you're someone whose concern is like. I don't know, substantive, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I when I talk to people about indie games, it's like a concern of theirs. It's just like, well, you know, the the the, the resources are such that they you just can't compare. I feel like that's kind of a misunderstanding about indie released games versus like AAA, you know? And, and with Umarangi, like you definitely, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It looks really great. I love the way that it's uh, uh, stylized. Mm, yeah, no, it's a beautiful game. And certainly, you know, it's, it's a game worth taking photos of. And, and surprise, that's hey. that's the main point of the game. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> What's the average runtime on it if you're not speeding through it? A few um, hours? Yeah, so I did my casual play of the base game plus the DLC content. And, and bear in mind, of course, I'm someone who is who is very comfortable, you know, moving around keyboard and mouse first person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I did that playthrough of all the levels, just doing the basic objectives, not worrying about uh, getting the, the bonus objectives or anything. I did that in about three hours, um, which, you know, again, I think the game is like I, I had picked up both for like 20 bucks. So, you know, I, I, that, that feels right to me, uh, especially a game that is worth replaying. I then I then went back and did all the 100% stuff, uh, you know, and that took me another few hours. Um, and then also, too, I, I would say, oh, God, I forgot where I was going. Um, oh, no. No, man. It was, it was going to be a good one, too. I, I promise. You well, only we, make good points. We were so. talking about substance, and I guess you could say that uh, Umarangi Generation is the code geass of indie games, wouldn't you say? Uh, I, Thematically I, I, deep. I, I, dealing with cri- I, critical social issues. I have in no way comfort- feeling comfortable with any of these conversations <laughs> when it comes to Umarangi and Code Geass. Yeah, I, Stephen Hero, maybe you have things to talk about. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sylvia Noventa. <laughs> yeah, screech. I, of course, was being sarcastic. Okay, all right, all right. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't sure where we were going with this, especially because, like, I, something I was going to note in our conversations today without jumping ahead was just, like, I don't remember because I remember we talked for a great deal about the Chinese Federation mm-hmm. dub performance guy being like, uh, what? I, I think I might have failed to mention that the sub performance is just as whack, if not way more whack. <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of so, have that feeling. Yeah, I, I could have. I, I, if I forgot to mention that, I should have, and I apologize because mm-hmm. definitely I should say what the dub was going for was probably picking up what they put down, but. You know, <laughs> I I realized they were probably trying to ease that up a little bit, but again, <laughs> maybe maybe they should have just gone a different direction. Anyway, 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 Umaranki, check it out. Yep, PMC's been streaming it. You can you can watch that or you know get it yourself. It's a great game. You should support developers. It's coming to Twitch soon. Yes, I was actually going to say that exact mm. same thing. I think that's actually what I meant to say when I was losing my brain cells was that like if you want to play <laughs> it on Switch, it's coming soon. And apparently, it's even going to have one of those gyro modes too. Where you can yeah. you can move the switch around and, and take the photo like you're taking a photo with a camera. So check That's it out. That's all I need. Steven, did you want to go next or should I? I've got a thing if you want me to go. Yeah, I don't really have too much. I'm uh, continuing playing Puyo Puyo Tetris. I'm like 60% through the campaign. Um, the game's starting to kick my ass. So like, if you're really good at Puyo Puyo or Tetris and or both, it would probably take you like 30 seconds to get through these missions. It's taken me like a half an hour. So it's pretty sl- uh, slow movings at this point. But yeah, that's really... All I've been doing this week, walling away my time. 
So I have decided to make a a project. I'm I'm going to be uh, collecting footage from a game soon. And before I get started in that in earnest, because it's kind of a a long runtime game, I I want to finish up some of the uh, ephemeral games that my my partner and I have started. So one of those includes a a Muso title called Age of Calamity, uh, which I've been meaning to finish up. Um, and I, because I have podcast brain, I can't remember for the life of me what I've spoken about about this game on this podcast already, if at all. Um, uh, yeah, that's fine. I don't expect either of you to remember either. That's fine. Well, you, I think I, I, I feel like it came up because of the Divine Beasts being essentially sort of mechs and there being these Divine Beast levels. But, you know, feel free to rehash it. I feel like it's been probably a few weeks since you brought it up. That's probably the most, like, that's obviously the most relevant sort of topic regarding Age of Calamity and, and our and our podcast. I mean, you know, I, I, for me, I'm very comfortable just calling Breath of the Wild and Age of Calamity in general, like, mech games. Like, if you were, if someone to po- were to point a gun to my head and be like, name me a mech game where you do not play as the mech, like, Breath of the Wild is the easiest because it's using all the elements I would say a mech game would need to use in order to like qualify where it's taking advantage of scope or you know you're you're talking about issues of embodying particular ideas like uh, you know each of these giants are named after characters or rather to us the audience we would recognize them as named after characters from legend of zelda but within the fiction they're invoking these bigger ideas and whether or not that's the same thing in the fabric of the zelda universe is up to the the particular person you know all that stuff is fun to mess with um but the real thing i wanted to kind of ask uh because i feel like there's an interesting fabric of it within this podcast is how much so so pmc you are I would describe you, I think it would be fair to say, mm-hmm. as a Musou person. If, yeah. if if you were put in front of a Musou game, you would be happy. You'd be like, sure, sure. I'm fine with this. <laughs> like, yeah. in general. Even like a licensed one, even if you weren't familiar with the license, you'd, you'd be able to go, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. I've played some Musou. Yep. Uh, uh, Steven, what about you? What do you what, what's your Musou history? Very little. Um, I have occasionally, back in my youth, played one idly, but never to completion. I'm not antagonistic towards them, but I'm a little indifferent. So one of the things that I like about Musou, and 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 why I, I in particular I'm bringing it up here, is that the, it is a framework. It is a lot like character action games in that it is a framework that I feel like fits anywhere. That that you can take any kind of you know, especially if it has a huge cast, anything with a huge cast, you could take and put it on the Muso formula. And one of the things I like about doing that are the times that they've really figured out how to express the specific elements of the character through beating the shit out of thousands of things, right? Whatever those things are. Whatever those things are. And like, yep. and, and like with, with the Dynasty Warriors games, you know, the of course, the, the, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, there's... Uh, a, a, there's a bucket of fucking characters you can do in those games, and all of them are larger than life. They're mm-hmm. all, you know, because of the elements of... Anyway. The, and and so, like, you almost take for granted how they characterize through the gameplay there, right? Like, and, and sometimes they'll do it just through, like, supercharging characters. Like, obviously, the, the meme, the biggest meme version of this would be Lubu, 
you know, who it, it is usually a a powerful AoE character just because Lance characters tend to be like that. Um, but the reason he's a meme is because of the way that he is undefeatable in particular missions, right? I, I think that's fair to say, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, but the other side of that is also that the gameplay characterizes him really well, right? Like you pick a you pick a guy with a big club or whatever, and you know kind of implicitly how that guy's going to work if you're familiar with Musou games. Like, so I could put PMC in front of the One Piece Dynasty Warriors games. And despite not knowing anything about One Piece for the most part, yeah, PMC's just I do not know anything about One Piece. I think it has. I think it has boats. <laughs> that boats. is correct. That is correct. Um, like PMC could pick someone and generally understand just from design. And like, if I said, "Oh, that's a faster character," you'd be like, oh, "Okay, got it." Like, you could probably you'd pick Zoro probably and be mm-hmm. fine because he's got swords. You'd be like, "Yep, okay, sword guy." There's usually a sword guy. Yep, <laughs> like, usually is. Um, and uh, Age of Calamity and its predecessor, the the um, Zelda, uh, gosh, what was it called? Zelda Warriors? Was it just Hi- something like Hyrule that? Hyrule Warriors? Hyrule Warriors, that's right. Yeah. Thank you, PMC. Um, we're really excellent at this. Both really, really solid at finding ways to express like elements of the character through whatever kind of gameplay uh, quirk they've got. And Age of Calamity, something that they've kind of done is they've given everybody a like special ability like a character ability and a lot of those things are stuff you can guess if you played breath of the wild like urbosa can charge her attacks up with electricity and um uh daruk can uh uh you know cause boulders to explode and mifa can create these little whirlpool portals in the battlefield and instantly kind of swim to them and through the ground um hestu the uh deku pervert uh, who collects the poops that you collect? Uh, yeah, I don't know if if either of you understood knew that about the um, uh, those little guys, the Koroks that you, that yeah. you the things they're giving you are their poops. They're they're poops mm-hmm. uh, canonically. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, and if you collect them all, you get uh, a giant poops that confirms that they're poops. Yeah, Nintendo is very it's they you know it's funny. I, I it's pretty funny when you find a little guy and they're like yeah ha ha yeah. here's my poop here's my poop. <laughs> Here you go. Just like, just like my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, best, uh, I'm basically playing Breath in the Wild while I'm out in my backyard collecting my dog's uh, droppings. You are if you're finding. I would not be even the tiniest bit surprised if that was the actual fucking inspiration. If they're like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Let's, these fuckers. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, they're, the, the gameplay elements are great. Um, it is a... Uh, I, I think I don't have notes about the story yet just because it's I, I'm I still haven't figured out if they're doing an AU or not uh, AU if, if you're not familiar with the term alternate universe take it, it just means that like the story might be working in a way that that isn't how we understood the story of Breath of the Wild to work 100 years ago and I'm, I'm okay with that that's kind of what I wanted I kind of would have preferred like a you know I hopefully there's a thing where I, I need to maybe I need to fight a million boblins or whatever and it's like okay you unlock the secret ending where you 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 did it this time there's there's no brother wild didn't happen this time yeah did it no absolutely i I always want that option honestly even if you make a prequel give me the chance to do like as many non-canon ends as possible and i can do what i want with that a good example i could think of is um uh force unleashed has some dlc where you're like you you become darth vader kind of 
and, and Star Killer goes around and he like there's like a whole mission where you go to the 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 Hoth base and you have to fight Luke Skywalker. That's that's cool. Yeah, the, the, the stuff like that is cool. Do Absolutely. that. Yeah. All right. All right. So All right. the other thing I'll note, I guess, before because I did talk about the mech stuff before, there are mech missions. Um, I don't know if you guys, Austin Walker spoke about them a little bit when when they were talking about the game. I I want to say like. I don't know. Time is an illusion. Like four months ago, <laughs> you know, something to that end, right around where it came out. Um, and something that's interesting about them is that they're almost impossible to lose. Like you can, if you're not paying attention and you don't understand, they work very differently from the Muso battles. Like you're, it's it's like an on rail shooter essentially, mm-hmm. right? And so like if you're if you don't shoot bullets out of the air, if you're not guarding, or if you're not hiding in the right place or whatever, um, you're massively overpowered. And I, and I can't imagine a reason for these missions to exist other than to emphasize how fucked people are when these things turn bad. I, I, I really, I cannot imagine what else it's trying to emphasize other than that thing we're talking about with mechs, right? Where it's like, it's a big fucking gun, right? Like, mm. and, and if the, like, you can't romanticize that to a degree, right? And, and I feel like I, I don't know what else I can pull from these missions other than like, Man, these big robots, when they go bad, like, no wonder, like, everything's gone, <laughs> you know, in Breath of the Wild. That seems to be what they're, but you know what? It's, it's that thing, right? It's kind of like the, the secret poops thing where it's <laughs> like, if we don't directly talk about it, then we don't, we don't necessarily have to acknowledge it, you know? Like, we all understand that there's mass death once the calamity happens, you know? But as long as we don't have to say it, it's fine. But <laughs> it's you know it's okay. I feel like I, I shouldn't complain about that because I was last week complaining about how I feel like Code Geass is too explicit with the way that it, it deploys its violence. But maybe this week will be different. Maybe maybe we should uh, we should investigate episode two and three. What do you guys say? Real quick, I wanted to add because I've been thinking about Muso games. I mentioned that I'm a kind of like Muso agnostic. However, I am picking up Persona Five Strikers in a few months, so maybe I'll have some like hard hitting Muso thoughts in the future. I would love for Persona 5 Strikers to like completely fix the plot of Persona 5. That would be amazing. <laughs> if, like the like something that kills me, this is only slightly related so you will have to forgive me. Something that kills me is that um there is resolution to the story of of the character Orin in Final Fantasy 10 in Kingdom Hearts 2. If you play Kingdom Hearts 2, the 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 resolution of that character is found in Kingdom Hearts 2 for some reason. <laughs> and that's kind of the feeling I'm getting from what you're talking about here. It's like, well, if you want this resolution, you can check it out in Persona 5 Strikers. That would be very fun to me. I will say Persona um, Q2 on the DS or 3DS, it provides a like Persona 5 light story that's far less offensive for those interested. Interesting. 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 No, I did not know that, huh? All right. Well, on that note, on on the Persona 5 Strikers note, you'll report back to us if it fixes everything about Persona 5. Even though you need direct eye contact, are those theatrics necessary? I don't need comments from an immortal witch. (laughs) Let's go ahead and see if Code Geass Season 2 fixes everything about Code Geass Season (laughs) 1. All right. So... I guess I'll go ahead and start with the episode two. Oh, I did the thing. I did the thing where I did my summaries and didn't write the title. What's the turn two episode called? Plan a, a for demon? Independent Japan. <laughs> sure. I'm glad it rhymes. Glad, plan for Independent Japan. <laughs> Come on All and right. plan for Independent Japan. <laughs> 
all right, let's slam an independent Japan. Uh, turns out that, that King Charles the Shithead has the Gies as well and used it for more or less, oh, used it to more or less reset the whole status quo. Well, now Lelouch and co. are going to unreset it, goddammit. Kalen and the other Black Knights work together to defeat the Britannian forces, but are waylaid by a gaudy variation on the Lancelot unit. <laughs> I hope I don't give away my opinions too soon. <laughs> it has the mysterious ability to move seemingly instantaneously, and defeats most of the Black Knights and almost takes a luch, if not for a bombing gamut that destroys the area around them. Zero has a big coming out party for himself, announcing his return to the world, and we learn that the pilot that was attempting to defeat Kalen in the fakey fake Lancelot is actually Rolo Tony Browntown. There's a lot that happens in this episode that, that's not necessarily in that summary, but because it's kind of action heavy, you know, it's it's a, a playing out that sort of same. I, you know, we've we've talked about this already. Uh, the, the if it rhymes thing that goes on in these first few episodes. Um, but um, you know, it's a lot like that uh, revolutionary action that was going on in the first couple episodes of Code Geass. What was it? The first two, right? Where um, on the way to school or something like that, Lelouch gets separated off, and uh, that's when he finds C two being commute. Uh, transported by all those dudes in the warehouse or whatever I, you know uh it, it's kind of similar to that it, to the degree where even uh you know there's a lancelot lookalike showing up to disrupt the plans and it successfully does to the degree you know where it blah 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 like i, I don't have a problem with it in this case because i, I do feel like it is uh how do i put this it's like I don't know. It's different enough without being like silly, right? Where like I, I would wonder if I was Lelouch and I and I got my memories back, I, I would at this point be going like, huh, weird. This is pretty <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, this is this is pretty similar to that thing that happened like I guess like a year ago. Mm. I, I don't know. Um the the timeline is squishy in a way that like I'm fine with. I don't particularly care too much that this is all happening within the squish of like i guess like seven to eight months something to that degree um because you know we'll be invoking the shirley stuff in the next episode and i i do not know how long ago it was since that but it's fine i'm, I'm sure there's an answer for this if i looked but i also don't care particularly it's fine if the characters don't mind then i don't necessarily mind right now um so we, we start early. Uh, something i completely skipped in my summary was that we see what happened at the end of season one which is that um, Suzaku just beat up Lelouch because he's a wiener. Um, Lelouch is a wiener, I mean to say, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, dragged him to his dad. I don't know where Suzaku, like, I guess Suzaku just, it's fine. We're just skipping a lot of steps, you know? Like, I, I don't, Suzaku just knew where Charles, could, he could find Charles, or it was just easy for him to bring Lelouch by the head to Charles from there. Like, it's fine. I don't question it too, too much. It's just like, uh, it's the sort of thing where I could imagine if I had written this as, as like for an assignment and I handed it in, I would get a lot of notes back with red pen. Like there's a lot of steps skipped here. <laughs> this is a kind of show don't tell situation. I think you're in right now. Um, I think it might be interesting just to point out that, uh, you know, we had mentioned last episode in the history episode that, um, like the sort of this arrival of the plot point where, where Lelouch runs into, into King shithead was something that was, you know, in that original script for the first episode of R2. 
and the you know the way we arrive there is 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 different and and in, and in this case they're like well whatever Suzaku brings him all right like yeah that, we're, exactly. we're here we, we we got to this part of the story it's fine yeah no and when there's a couple of choice lines here you know Suzaku essentially uses this as leverage in order to enter into uh, the Knights of the Round Table, uh, which I'm so mad. I can't. Mm, I'm so mad that I'm going to be hating an organization called the Knights of the Round. I'm so upset that this show has brought me to this, but it's fine. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're great. Maybe they're the best fictional characters ever. Um, but an interesting thing here is that uh, Luch, you know, Luch is spinning venom, of course, because he's you know, been defeated and humiliated. I, I will also shout out the Suzaku kick, which we do get another another brief uh, shout out or, or scene of. Um, and, he, you know, he accuses L- 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 Suzaku of uh, uh, betraying his friends in order to achieve his ambitions. And Suzaku is just kind of like, yeah, you're right. Uh, the king <laughs> and, loves it. The king eats it up. Yeah, the king's like, ha, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, you're and you're signed. King, yeah, in fairness to King Shithead, it is pretty funny, but... I mean, um, that fits with character beats, too. I mean, if you can consider what, like, Britannian society values, it values, like, might versus right. And if, you, you know, if you're willing to step on your friend to achieve some power, then, you know, more power to you. Well, so I wanted to ask you guys about this. So, I, you know, for me, the, 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 this move where Suzaku's like, I will betray my, my best friend in order to get, gain power, if I'm King Shithead, I'm a little bit... I might be, maybe I'm pre-chess mastering it, but this seems very sus to me. Like, this would be the easiest way to trick me, right? Which would be, like, um, my shithead son and his idiot friend, like, team up to make it seem like they've they've beat each other up in order to get in on my good graces, right? I mean, I know, let me be clear, I know that's not what's happening, right? I know that what's actually going on here is this kind of, like, all right, well, so here's my position. Ignis Maddox has not been a fan of the Suzaku character from step one. I, I find him frustrating in, a, in the way that he's presented because I think that the show agrees with his core integrity, that it thinks that it's sincere and that he's got the right idea, and that is what I, I rub up against. I find that to be frustrating because I, I see this character in a different way i feel like what i'm experiencing here is is maybe the dissonance that people experience when they're watching the prequels and they see qui-gon jinn say like i i don't want to free the slaves that sucks actually and they're like well wait i don't think you're a hero anymore <laughs> but there's an hour left in this movie for some reason um so here when he's like i'm gonna betray my friend in order to get what i want i'm like yes uh-huh uh-huh and, and I detect that the show wants me to be like, what is Suzaku thinking? You know, what what is this is such a turn? And I'm just like, no, no, <laughs> it's yeah, really not. I, I guess I, that's actually a good point is, is this meant to be because I certainly think that the the show is casting Suzaku in a more explicitly villainous light at this point than it was happening in season one. Um and I guess the yeah, asking to what extent is this meant to be a twist is a good question because I I think I'm there with you, Ignis, which is that you know I I had the the whole argument in our postmortem episode that Suzaku was the central villain of of season one, and so here I'm like yeah, like I feel like Suzaku is now being honest about who he is. So I'm like okay, yeah, that's this track, so I'm gonna keep taking notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I sorry, go ahead, Stephen. If I'm reading this generously, and for Code Geass, that's a stretch. Um, 
he commits the deadliest of anime sins. He sells out his best friend. And I'm not even Top sure if Code Geass is willing to, like, both sides Charles. It seems that Code Geass agrees that Charles is a shithead and that he is evil. And by proxy, if Suzaku is now his personal pawn, he sold out his best friend Lelouch, whom the show fucking adores no matter what. It will always go to bat for Lelouch. I wonder if this is the show agreeing that, you know what? Suzaku does suck. And I want to live in that space for hopefully at least two episodes before the show reveals that, you know what? Suzaku, he's all right. Well, so I'm I'm afraid. I, I fear. I'm afraid for both of you in this in this regard because uh, to me, and and perhaps this is cynical. Uh, to me, I, I can only see this from the point of view of like what what role will does Suzaku serve within the this point of the text, right? And like, I'm I'm thinking about character popularity polls, right? And I'm thinking about how there must have been a cadre of pro Suzaku people. Right. And like this must have been a, a big enough force in the fandom that the the I've referred to like friction in uh, uh, a, a text before. And when I should specify what I mean by that, like when I'm referring to friction, what I'm talking about is the the sort of emotional discomfort that you feel when engaging with the text for whatever reason. So whether that's, you know, like I, I there's friction for me with, with the the uh, uh, explicit violence in Code Geass and it goes over the edge a little bit, which is why I bring it up. Or, you know, versus the friction of the Simone arc in Gurren Lagann when he's depressed for three episodes, that, that causes a lot of friction for people. But for me, that's friction that's helpful for the integrity of the text. That's that's kind of what I'm talking about mm-hmm. when I refer to friction. Um, and... Suzaku, I think, what's going on here is meant to be friction for Suzaku people. I think that that this show is constantly in this balancing act where it can maintain the sense that Suzaku is a protagonist while also constantly, constantly having him do what the plot and the text needs him to do, which would fly in the face of being a protagonist, right? Like I, I, or not a protagonist, a hero is what I mean. Like he's still obviously protagonist. Like you don't have to be a good person to be a protagonist. Like it just means perspective character or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um, and and I think with Code Geass, I, I don't think there is a balanced, quote unquote, like point of view regarding Suzaku. I think in a lot of the same way that Lelouch is always going to be the hero of the story, regardless of things that the episodes remember he's done or not keep that in mind for our next episode discussion perhaps um you know i think suzaku's in a similar position i don't think there's any point where suzaku will be able to especially because like you got to keep in mind especially for someone who is pro suzaku you're keeping the euphemia tragedy in your mind the whole time and and as one from the perspective of suzaku is a huge blow to him right mm-hmm. like it, obviously there's so much more going on with the euphemia thing than that um which is why side note i you know if if we're talking about things that i don't have a problem with i actually kind of like the euphemia thing as far as like we there's maybe one day where steven and i can have our our duel of minds about the euphemia thing uh just because i i bet you uh, based off of things i've said in the past i it, it might seem odd for me to be like no this is good actually but uh, this is the one that's just the one example of code Geass extreme bullshit that i'm kind of feel like works for me but like even then it's still 
it's it's so stupid but it's fine that's a conversation for another day because we're not talking about that right now hopefully we'll get in a a a a good reason to talk about that stuff in the future i don't know if something like that will come up i don't know if anyone even fucking remembers euphemia right now like there's a lot of stuff about this new status quo that i'm not really sure how to match up but i'm not gonna worry about it i'm gonna let it happen to me um so uh suzaku betrayed lelouch became one of the new knights of the round in the sub they just referred to them as a round they just (laughs) which is good I, i like just calling them rounds that's that's fine. <laughs> that's it's just very. I think it's a great example of how uh, English can sound in Japanese to to a Japanese audience, right? Because the the that's just not the the <laughs> that's just not the word I would have chosen if I was gonna <laughs> like shorten the knights of the round. I probably would have picked that one, the knights. <laughs> but that's fine. I think round is better. <laughs> like. Um, but that's how we hear uh, uh, Charles refer to them uh, when he's showing off the sword of Akasha to Suzaku because Suzaku remembers the truth about Lelouch and the Gias. I only bring this up now because it's not important. We don't know shit about the sword of Akasha. Apparently, it's for attacking and dethroning God. But there's so much like classic like JRPG tropes. Like I'm kind of here for it. Like an organization with exactly 13 members and an elite group of soldiers. He's probably gonna have to knock off one by one. Uh, the killing god line, this like this ultimate weapon. We have like king shitheads like Sanctum Sanctorum up there in the heavens. Like that that it looks shit, like a that shit's could be cool. It, it'll be all right. So code, if Code Geass R two just like acknowledged it's dumb shit and just didn't pretend it's smarter than it actually is, I I kind of be on board for it. Yeah, what I will I'm gonna say this now because I don't mind if I curse myself later. Something that I like about R two is that it feel like it's much. It's spotlighting the, like, insane world-building shit about Code Geass that I like. Not like, but, like, I think this is Code Geass' strength. I, you know, Steven, you've, before you've invoked how Code Geass is best in motion, and I feel like we're still in that. Right? I, I feel like, at least in episode two, for sure, we're still in that sort of, like, like rolling down the hill and gaining more snow as we continue down. Like, that. that's where it's the most, like, Code Geass-y to watch, and, mm-hmm. and it's working in that regard. Yeah, um, this kind of brought me the 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 revelation of the king being uh being I, I feel like it was sort of hinted the king was a gas user, but like seeing the king do it kind of put yeah. me in mind that like the the best takeaway from I think our least favorite stretch of episodes in season one, the Mal episodes, was just sort of expanding the world building about about Gius. and I think that's kind of one of the more exciting parts of this set of episodes that we watched is that you know we're talking about the king now and we'll get introduced to another gas user later. Uh, C2 is like, a king's not my fault, and we could probably guess who, you know, we have our obvious pick for whose fault it is, but, um, you know, I just, I think that highlighting that part of the world building and just staring into it like the sun is good for the show. Yeah, I'm, um, it's, it's, for me, it's like there is a, oh boy, prestige television, J.J. Abrams, like, mystery box, sort of, like, every time we turn the corner, there's another thing I don't understand that, to this that I'm, I think is working right now. Um, you know, I, I the, the, the thing with this particular episode is that once we get outside of this stuff where we establish, like, okay, here's all that we learned, that, that the, the, the emperor has a Gius, uh, Gius, Seems to work similarly to Lelouch as compared to Mao's. Mao's did not work similarly to Lelouch's. Um, 
Uh, and I, the amount that he's used it on whom we can know if the rules apply the same way, like, because he's got two eyes instead of just the one. So who knows, with, you know, if that's like Super Saiyan 2 instead of Super <laughs> Saiyan 1, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's what we're going on here, but that's fine. We don't know yet. So we'll, we'll find out in the future, maybe. Um, Kalen uh, sort of confronts Lelouch uh, in, in a scene in this episode uh, about, you know, the whole season one situation. Um, I, uh, <laughs> what, what did you guys think about this confrontation? I don't, I don't know if I, if I have a conclusion other than like it, this is really what we have here is like flirting, right? Like there are two things I have, I, I can walk away from this confrontation with Lelouch's moves kind of anti-work on, on Kalen and that Kalen, I, I can appreciate Kalen's philosophy about identity. I, I think that. The way that she chooses to go, you know what? I'm just going to, in my head, I'm going to separate the boy Lelouch from the figure zero. And that's just how I'm going to mentally do it. And th- that feels like that's going to work for her. And I, and I kind of appreciate that. You, you, you guys know I have, I'm kind of a stickler for that kind of thing. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know what to make of this scene at all. What do you, what do you guys think? I think I liked being sort of, um, feeling empathetic for Kalen because I think, you know, from her perspective, quite reasonably in the first season, they were two different people, you know, like that was, that's how it was. Um, and so, you know, seeing her, like, I, I think it would be too much for the character to, to arrive at some sort of like, I'm going to have a coherent demand in response to this ridiculous situation, you know, on our, right. our first meeting after. So I think to see her sort of have that difficulty, but like, recognize that you know it's the best for her to try and keep those things as separate as possible right now uh you know and hopefully to treat it with as much grace and dignity as possible you know there's another part of kellen that we've talked about a lot which is the you know sort of the fan service aspect which gets in the way of this quite often and that's frustrating uh hopefully we'll get more more scenes like like this than i think some of the other other and scenes in these two episodes yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds because uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned Grace and Dignity because uh, we we did forget to mention that she is still dressed as a sex bunny in this scene mm-hmm. uh, with with a USB port shoved in, into her cleavage. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I I definitely have known women to keep things in their cleavage. Oh yeah, I've, I've known it to happen. I know it's a gross thing for sure. It is you do not want to handle the thing that's been in the cleavage. Mm-hmm. Like it is sweaty and warm probably, but. That is that is a thing I've seen women do. So you know what? I'm not going to say that Code Geass now respects women. This is Code Geass is a pro and has passed the 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 what is the the cleavage Bechdel test is what it's passed now. Like anti Bechdel. I'm just <laughs> saying that there is you know there's there's I've talked about this before when it comes to the fan service angle. Like this here doesn't bother me as much. What bothers me later will be when we're hearing Lelouch giving orders to the the uh, the Black Knights, and Arabe can hear it just fine to his right, but poor poor Kalen has to be hearing it from her butt. Uh, and, and we'll often be seeing that Kalen is hearing things from her butt, but it's fine, I guess. Whatever. We've we've talked about this already, so I feel like emphasizing it is important to do here. But I feel like this is kind of the final word on it, at least for this episode, because you know that's basically it. Is is that uh, uh, Lelouch has come up with a brilliant plan in order to not only cover their getaway but also deal with uh, Calaris? Is that his name? Yeah, Calories. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, so, however long he'll co- stick around, right? 
<laughs> I mean, Kolaris is, is, you know, we've seen him a couple times, and, like, his whole thing, they've emphasized, you know, I, I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about this. This is another big idea sort of situation. I'm not sure if maybe we need to, to let this sit a little bit more before we come out with a final judgment on it, but, like, so, like, the Britannians are written in a very particular way where... Uh, I they are clearly meant to be exhibiting the sorts of stuff that allows its audience to land at a firm conclusion. What I mean by that is that sometimes you write characters and you don't want the audience to instantly land on like or dislike on mm. them, right? Like sometimes you write a character and you want the audience to go on the journey with them or you want them to start on a certain foot, right? For example, like, ah, uh, but let's... Uh, what is trying to think of a, of a time where a, a story pur- purposefully makes a character distasteful for you just so it can work some magic in order for you to come to a point of sympathy to them. I, you know, I, off the top of my head, I'm having a hard time thinking of something, you know, more mainstream. But that is something that a, a text will do. It is, it is, you know, in cinema, there's kind of the opposite uh, thing where when it comes to script writing where there's the save the cat, right? Where your your save the cat moment in a screenplay is the idea that the the uh, a character that we're meant to like does something that will endear us to them, and um, with the Britannians, they're constantly written to kind of exhibit this sort of like you know we see Kalaris in the first episode he has the, the line where it you know his execution of the Elevens is not discrimination right it's differentiation different differentiation is somehow you know, uh, better or superior or intellectually, you know, uh, uh, distinct in some way. And like the reason they're written like this is because we're supposed to understand them to be the antagonists. Right. And the thing that makes me uncomfortable about when you, you write characters this way in a text like Code Geass is that I feel like it creates this reaction in people where they instantly go like, oh, well, if they're coded with villainy this intensely, like, I I can't take their villainous actions very seriously. <laughs> and, and I think this is a reaction from children's media being very safe with its villains in general, right? Where, you know, even if they do villainous stuff, they're generally pretty toothless. And so there's this sign of sort of effect I feel like happens with, with uh, popular media in particular where uh, it's just very easy to overlook uh, the the text's intentions with characters if the text is too on the nose about it. So like the Britannians are so clownishly evil that it's pretty easy to kind of even forget how clownishly evil they are because this is the kind of the place where it's performed, right? Is this this sort of cartoon bigotry that they do rather than a, a sort of realistic, and I'm not calling it for it to be realistic. This is the kind of a question I, I want to get to, which is that like the Britannians are written in, in this way where it's very clear that they wanted the audience to not like them. They're saying bad, shitty, evil things. Um, and I guess for, for my question is, do you feel like the show, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get to is like, I don't think the show cares about that stuff except for the scenes where it happens. And I don't know exactly how to intellectualize that thought better than that. Um, what I mean by that is that, like, there are a lot of scenes with Britannians or, or Britannian citizens where 
the the actions of the the higher ups the nobles and stuff like that aren't meant to carry over so much like okay so what i mean by that is like in this in the first episode they execute all those britannian citizens along with everybody else and then they burn them alive and me as an audience member i don't know if i'm supposed to take that into account when i'm thinking about some of the other britannian characters that's basically what i'm trying to get to it's like mm-hmm. okay so they're willing to do this stuff and all the other stuff that I've seen from season one. You know, I, I'm aware that the Britannians have a callous sort of disregard for human life in general. Uh, but I'm not sure how much the show wants me to keep that in mind when I'm judging, like, for example, what Lelouch is doing in regards to memory or how C2 refers to other people or, you know, Kalen and their struggles comparably. Like, it, do I... Am I just pro Kalen and everything that she does? Because she's the most kind of righteous of the whole crew, right? She's in a lot of ways the most straightforwardly seeking just freedom from oppression. Whereas the Luch is out for selfish revenge. Like it is literally just for himself. And then on the other hand, there are the Britannians who are, as you know, we've just been talking about for the past couple of minutes, like callously disregarding human life in order to instill, you know, their global Im- empire, right? And, and like, what I guess what I'm saying is, while the Britannians are on the other side of this and and they do the things they do, like, and and we're still meant to sort of sympathize with the Britannian sort of like citizens with the the high school students. I don't know how much of that is still going to stick around. Like, how much do you think the show intends us to keep the actions of the Britannian Empire in mind? Like, is this a thing that the show? like wants us to to hold in our minds as we're watching i don't know we haven't seen much of it yet but as we're watching suzaku interact with his fellows like is this like a thing where it's like ah yes they are capable of great evils but they still love their children at home like is this something you think the show is is mindful of or do you think for the most part the britannian action is meant to be pure shock value i guess if i'm gonna tldr it i would say pure shock value I think you're only supposed to consider that they're fascist when it's convenient for the plot, whenever they want to bring the plight of the Japanese citizens up. Otherwise, the screen is usually centered on someone like Schneisel, like flirting with the ladies around him, or Cordelia and her very close and intimate relationship with her sister Euphemia. That and at that point, it's it definitely serves. You're supposed to be taken away by some of these characters. Like, for example, Kalaris, he is such a milk toast villain. You know, his fate is assured once he's introduced, just because he is so underdesigned for a Britannian. You're supposed to be right. t- taken away, I think, in a positive way by many of their designs and just by their behavior. And sometimes it even works on me because I'm like, you know, fuck, I, I, you know, I miss Cordelia. I miss her stage presence. Like, she really chews the scenery. Like, I hate her. You kind of love to hate her. Kalaris, on the other hand, he's an afterthought, and the show indicates this by his visual design yeah i think schneidzel is who i was thinking of in particular you know cordelia kind of but like there's this sort of angle i can't get out of my head where it's like if you're and it seems like with code Geass, if you're a pure militarist in code Geass, it seems like you're much more disposable and usually mm. very evil usually like, that seems to be the people who are most often responsible for, like, the most callous of the, like, atrocities or, like, the, the harshest militarists, like, Kolaris and his and his uh, mutton chops. Uh, uh, or not mutton chops, uh, his 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 weird mustache. Handlebar mustache? Is that what he's got? Is that what you call that? I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. I don't know facial hair. All right. So, Cullen kind of confronts the Lucian, doesn't really come away with a useful conclusion. Not really. It's kind of flirty. Whatever. Uh, so, then uh, we see a new version of the Lancelot. 
let's talk about this. We talk about mechs on here. It is a we we learn it apparently mass produced version of the Lancelot. Uh, it's got those uh, weird uh, shoulder nipple things. Those you know the things the sensors uh, that open up. Yeah. Um, I I don't like it. I'm I'm not into this 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 machine. It, it doesn't do it for me. I. I you know the the I haven't really I should go one to one and see what the main differences are other than the inverted color scheme. But like I, the gold really doesn't. You know I'm not a I'm I'm not a hater of gold mechs. I I like sometimes a gaudy shiny machine. You know I like I like the the Beck. You know the 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 King Keton. These are fine machines. I I don't really like this one. What what do you guys think? I mean you know I love the Hiaku Shiki, but this but. but. <laughs> But this one is just—it feels like um, like a, a gaudy bootleg of of all the worst qualities of the Lancelot. Like I don't know how they did it. Which to me, the one thing I will say is because because we are a mech podcast that watches mech shows. To me, this further gives uh, Rolla Tony Browntown an element of artificiality. I think right. being in this mech, in this this gaudy, showy mech. Um, I, th- so that's the thing is like, I don't like the mech, but then I've, I fit it into me, you know, rooting against the villainous Rollo Tony. Right. Yeah. Do we, you know, obviously we don't, we don't know it's Rollo Tony to the very ass end, but like now we do know we have seen the future, mm-hmm. which is to say the end of this episode. Um, and I completely, that is a really good call with the characterization. Steven, did you have any thoughts about the, this mass produced Lancelot? PMC basically read my notes word for word. I will say that the mass-produced Lancelot is officially called a, the Vincent. Uh, I disliked its garish colors. It, it gives off some like big Beck energy, um, but it's worse for it. I will say, agreeing with PMC, though, it definitely plays up to, or I should say it meshes well with what we know of Rolo as a character because he's kind of like an afterthought, and he's really vying for the viewer's attention. Because even uh, Lou says, like, you're not Suzaku, and I feel like, that kind of bothers Rolo, or he kind of internalizes that his lack of stage presence. So he wants to show off. He wants to grab the audience attention. He wants to kill Lelouch. So I kind of get See, it. Like it, the gold and red definitely stand out as if he wants attention. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. I, I actually that I was going to call out that line um, because he says, you know, you're no Suzaku, and and uh, tactics can't defeat strategy is what he says. Um, and I and I thought of our your friend and mine, Stephen J. Bruce. Uh, Jay is not his middle name. <laughs> I don't think I did my Stephen J. Bloom thing. Uh, Stephen Bruce has a, a whole fun little exchange between uh, uh, Vlad the Assassin and Seth the Vode regarding this very topic. Kind of. I actually think that Seth the Vlad is making fun of Seth here a little bit when it's happening, which is fine. Seth deserves it. Um, but also, you know, uh, just off the top of my head, you know, um, I, I guess the uh, the difference between strategy and tactics is that strategy would employ tactics and, and and a tactic is referring to a particular maneuver as opposed to like a series of maneuvers. Does that sound right? Does that sound like, uh, you know, militarists, please email us and you can tell us like people who know actual things, please let us know if we're getting this fucking shit wrong. But that, that, that tracks to me, right? Like that, you know, a, a an individual move is no match for a coordinated assault, you know, it's more chess stuff is basically what Lelouch is pulling on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, uh, we haven't really talked about the, the, this Lancelot's mysterious blinking ability, uh, but you know, it, it's fine. The, the problem with stuff like this is that it's hard to, uh, it's hard to know whether this is a technology thing or a magic thing or both. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's still so much we don't know about the the mechs in this show and their the Ragnarok drive and all that stuff that was introduced in. We can even see the the you know uh, Rolo Tony Browntown does a maneuver that we would associate with Suzaku from the 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 colors intro, which is that um that, that spin the fucking rollerball thing really fast and then hit it hard on the uh, uh on the uh the the control stick um you know i i, I see that and i just think gee boo whoa you know <laughs> as the 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 lancelot's about to kick in um but yeah i mean the other thing that bothers me is that i i you know this is tough because i, I don't know what the challenge is of, of uh introducing new characters but i'm always annoyed when established uh powerful characters are are taken out by brand new people like very easily that that i always find that kind of frustrating there's a science to this there's a way you can introduce a new character and make them formidable without instantly undermining your established characters which is i i don't know i for me i think it's easy to do but i can i understand how you know i'm not making a television show (laughs) you know what the fuck do i know um, I just think Kalen should have just beat the shit out of this, out of, of, you know, I would have been fine with understanding that the blink makes this, this, this being, this character dangerous without them having to just beat, you know, we, you know, it's, or they could have just done what they did, which was that, that it took Arabe's sacrifice in order to waylay him for long enough, you know, mm-hmm. um, Arabe's got a good, uh, they don't call us the Four Swords Adventures for nothing kind of moment, which I enjoyed. I thought that was a pretty baller scene. I gotta say, uh, it li- I agree. It elicited a lot of pathos for me. Like uh, he, he, he's like uh, nerves of steel. He stares his oppressor right in the face, and he dies for a cause that he believes to be just. And I, I appreciate that. I do think it's, uh, you know, it's fine. There are certain elements that the it's kind of interesting that the show gets to hand wave away about itself like the he, he has a line it's like oh i guess zero really was a school kid oh well <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how the show treats it and it's like all right all right that's fine i guess i guess this is what we're doing you know i almost sort of respect it there's there's almost a part of me that's like you know what fine i also don't want to deal with it so i respect this show you know i do respect though because if you compare like the juxtaposition between his death and Kalaris's death because Kalaris dies an ignominious death but Arabe dies a noble death. I think the show reflects that. I got. I like that contrast. Yeah, I mean, um, you you can't. Uh, how do I how do I put this delicately? Uh, there's there's only so many ways you can be crushed to death by the falling tower of Babel. <laughs> yeah. That 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 wouldn't be you know portentous or ignominious. You know that that's pretty. Uh, that's kind of like if you design a spaceship called Icarus. It's like <laughs> I I don't know what you're expecting. Yeah, watch out for the sun. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking into a bag labeled Dead Dove is all I'm saying. <laughs> like, it's just not a good idea. Um, Anyway, don't name spaceships Event Horizon either. That's also <laughs> a bad idea. You're fucking it up. Um, So C2 sets up the C4 mm-hmm. uh, and, and blows up the tower. I don't know if it was C4. <laughs> you know, like, I don't actually know. It doesn't look like clay or whatever. I don't know shit for fuck. Um... But you know the uh, uh, the Tower of Babel comes down to kill Kolaris, or at least I actually don't know if he's dead. I think there's a line later where they refer to he's in like critical condition or something like that. Um, uh, and um, we do see uh, Gilbert Godfrey <laughs> say that he's going to lead the um, the, uh, 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 the the rescue efforts, which seems like perfunctory, right? Yeah. I actually love his line. He's got a line. <laughs> This is not a political takeover, which is the, a normal thing to say during political 
takeover. I <laughs> like, promise. All right. It's it's so funny to me. Um, and you know he's he's kind of coy about the. They actually call out specifically that they aren't sure which princess he's referring to or which member of the royal family he's referring to. They they name Cordelia, I think, but there's a question about. Yeah, that, like he must be talking about Cornelia. Yeah, 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 yeah. I imagine this is gonna be. I don't, you know, this is me calling my shot, but I imagine this is gonna reveal that not only is uh, the princess he's working for now and that she's with the royal family mm. now that that seems like the easiest friction point for for what's going on oh real the, the reveal that real quick oh, go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt ignis i just i had a thought though because he's talking about like uh like playing 4d chess with some of the lore sayoko there's some mysterious shit with her why is lelouch concerned about his maid there there's there's some shit going down and i haven't read up on it. i'm just calling my shot real quick yeah, what I liked about that, if I had to be honest, what I do like about that is is that he's trying to remember all of the like like disparate elements of what's all is going on. Because like he, you know, at this point, if, if I'm going to take Lelouch seriously as the like Xanatos of this series, something that he has hopefully learned by now is that like the things that fuck up his plans are the holes that he would never guess beforehand. Like a cat stealing his helmet or something to that degree or an, an insane Chinese man, you know, <laughs> with the vengeance on his new witch girlfriend. Like there, there, there's only so much he can really predict that sort of stuff. But like, you know, not forgetting about Sayako who kind of knows everything or, or I don't know. It's even hard to guess what she knows and what she doesn't. Um, uh, can I, can you guys remind me, uh, what Colin? Uh, she was Gius to make a phone call, right? That's that's what her Gius was to to make a phone call and play an audio thing, and that's that's why that's what her oh, wait, she was Gius to do. I thought the phone call thing was Psycho. I just the thing I want to establish just to be very clear is that whatever Lelouch Gius her to do was relatively small. Yeah, right. Like it wasn't like. It yes. was. It, it wasn't it, like a big. It was like when he was testing things out. Like I think Kalen is the person he discovers where he can't do it multiple times, maybe, or it might be the right. teacher, but one or yeah, the it's, other. It's uh, it's after the Shinjuku incident. I remember he briefly gasses her. It's like for a, a fleeting moment, and it like wears off. I'm not. I'm not sure if he. That's because he did it again. I just can't remember that first time. But it definitely happens on campus. Well, the thing I wanted to just establish, just definitively, is that like the. The stuff that makes Kalen Kalen the show has has made a point of establishing comes from her. And and I, you know, if if this was a show I had more faith in, this would be me saying like, aha, this is a thing that they're staking their claim on now. We're going to come back to this issue of, you know, maybe fucking around with memories is not the, the most, uh, you know, responsible thing to do in this world. But that's OK. I watched the next episode, so I know for a fact that that's not true. Um, it's fine. We'll talk about it. So they get away. The Tower of Babel has been destroyed. Thank goodness. I'll never play that part of Xenogears ever again. Um, and now that the, the, uh, everything seems relatively calm, uh, Gilbert Gottfried has, has decided he's going to lead the rescue mission. He's also, this is not a takeover for political power at all. <laughs> um, but That's what I say every time I enter a room. This is not a takeover for political power. For, absolutely not. This is what I say every time when uh, I... I get a uh, uh, bind on equip drop in the, the raid, and it's only for me. And I I take it for myself, and I say this is not a grab for political power. Um, the zero comes on the screen and makes his his big announcement about the United States of Japan, and uh, everyone is shocked, including the Knights of the Round, who 
you know, we don't particularly know yet, but we see our colorful cast of anime characters, our um, our uh, organization thirteen for for season two. Ignis, uh, inc- I I must ask, did you did you start thinking? So the, one of the one of the knights of the round interacts with Suzaku, uh, and was like, you know, like, oh hey, it's the rebel leader of of the Japanese uh, is back, and kind of puts his arm around. This character, whose name I forget, or either we aren't told, I have now identified in my mind as Joey from Brooklyn. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if you watched the dub, so I don't know if you were subject to that dub performance. I, I, but I watched both, but I okay. don't remember. I, I don't recall I his feel voice. Like he's got like being... a real like New York hey, affectation. Yo, I'm a, I'm a knight of the round. Hey, hey, Suzaku, didn't you kill that zero? Oh no! Oh, well, I have to listen again. I'm very excited about that. I mean, what I hated about him was his um his like his uh uh, uh Je- Jedi Padawan ponytails things that he has going on. That's 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 disgusting. Um, but <laughs> it's you know it's it's whatever. We're, we're establishing you know that there's some that Suzaku will probably have some some shit to navigate within his own little circles here. It doesn't seem like um Blondie Joey from from Yu Gi Oh uh, trusts. Uh, uh, Suzaku very much from this exchange. Um, we can see also the the girl who has the mech we're excited about. Uh, uh, the gun one is is like a, you know, a, an anime character. I don't know how else to put this. Like it, only an anime would would you be able to find this kind of character in like an elite group like this, where it's like she's like the bored teen who texts all the time, but also she's an ace pilot or whatever. Like, it's fine. I'm not actually complaining. It is, it is, this is a common thing in mecha anime. It's just like, I don't know, man. Uh, there's just something about this particular version of it where it's just like, oh, okay, here we are, I guess. She reminds uh, me of a uh, Nonon from uh, Kill a Kill. Yes. Yeah, totally. That's, that, that's exactly what I mean where this kind of thing pops up all the time. Um, so, uh, we do see Deet Hard, here, who's excited about the Omega line being up? Uh, Rakshada is with him as well. Uh, did you see all the beer on his desk that he kind of just like knocks the fuck over? Like he's he's been having a real one. It seems like I just saw the um, episode of C Lab with when they install the red phone and it keeps melting. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I would love Tokius <laughs> if the cast was just C Lab instead. If it was if Lelouch was Murphy or something like that. Oh my goodness. Real quick, um, I want to touch upon one thing in the uh, in Zero's oh, little speech. Um, he uses the possessive pronoun "my" to refer to the uh, rebellion, like kind of giving it grammatical ownership. And if you compare it to the subtitle for season one and kind of season two, Lelouch of the Rebellion, now he's firmly placing that flag. I mean, he might have said it before, but I'm just highlighting now. It's his rebellion. So not only is he, you know, he says he's trying to build a better world for Nunnally, and I'm sure that the show is going to go back to that. But he's also desirous of power. Uh, I, I must have talked about this when we covered season one, but you, you just reminded me while we're talking about language a little bit. I, I want to talk about, um, so it, this is something that I feel like as Americans, we, we might have gotten a little used to in, in our time here, but something that, that they make a choice of doing in the sub, uh, the Japanese dub of Code Geass is, uh, they, they use the English word terrorist a lot. Mm. Um, that which is to say, when they use when they refer to terrorists, they're saying the English word terrorist, not not the Japanese word for terrorist if it exists, the English word. Um, and that feels specific to me in the same way the yes, my lords are very specific. Oh, also Suzaku when referring to Charles v. Britannia, instead of yes, my lord, he he actually says yes, your Majesty in English when during the sub. I watched it subbed and dubbed. Um, 
and and that sort of stuff is I'd be very interested to read what their thinking was behind that um, because it, it shows kind of a thoughtfulness that I, I do not <laughs> I do not ascribe to Code Geass too often um, but you know it's something I I, th- I think is interesting I always like to call out a sort of choice uh, especially because it's really hard to communicate what those choices would be in English, right? I don't actually know how you do that. I'm not, uh, you know, we've talked about this a million times. I'm not sure what the solution is here. Um, but yeah, Zero, he gives a speech. He declares the United States of Japan. He makes the United States of Japan sound really cool, right? That, that there's, you know, no, no different, uh, you know, uh, uh, differentiation based off of race or gender or, or creed or whatever. You just have to be cool is basically his, his vibe. You have to be, <laughs> you have to chill. Um, you know, this seems uh this this seems uh daring. We're 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 left with a feeling of like, wow, what how how what what could what could this mean? Uh except for of course we see that, that Rolo Tony Brown town is the pilot of the Gold Lancelot, and he is going to uh the Chinese Federation because the Black Knights are hiding out out there using I, I imagine uh diplomatic immunity from the Chinese Federation. Uh we've talked about how the Chinese Federation have helped out with the rebellion against the the Britannian mm-hmm. empire before this feels like some uh, goofy diplomacy tricks trickery that they're doing here where it's where they're like like well well yeah the black knights are here but you can't come in here like <laughs> like you know they they might be here but we don't know you know <laughs> like it's it's fun it's fun to see uh you know who uh, what is the uh chinese captain's name is jean k is that his name i think so yeah yeah um fun to see him flex a little bit uh, but then we see Rolo Tony Browntown, and he's going to use his geas. And Shinji is, is uh, you know, I am here to kill Zero. You know, I and Shinji's uh, little little soft boy voice, he really helps Rolo sound like a creep. Yeah. Like just a super creepazoid. Uh, <laughs> I really love that performance in English. It's good. Yeah, Spike um, Spencer is good for the role. Uh, but that brings us to the end of, of move two. Uh, what was it again? Uh, plan for uh, independent Japan. Come on and yeah, slam independent that's Japan. Right. So come on and slam for independent Japan. Um, <laughs> you know that we're we're here at a a new status quo, which is the same status quo from last season. Essentially, we're back to the beginning of the beginning of season one. Um, you know, f- fine. Uh, at this point, I'm I'm ready to see how, how Rolo Tony Browntown fits into all this and how some of the the elements like Valletta, who we're we're unsure how she fits into this whole scheme. Maybe that will become clear in this very next episode. Um, I had a compare contrast that I wanted to put before you boys because I was trying to fall asleep one night, and this thought oh, popped no. into my. Did you head watch different. Master and Commander? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of you, Stephen. I was like, wow, this Stephen must be furious at this tweet. This must be, you know, it's fine. It's I, fine. I think that guy got his comeuppance. <laughs> No, I mean he was the main character. He and the the fan fiction other person were the main character. Although I did not see the bad fan fiction tweet, I somehow dodged it. Anyway, PMC. Yeah, I I was completely outside of that, but I did want to suggest that you know we've been getting further into into Mechanations canon of different shows that we've covered, and the way that uh, C two called out some of Lelouch's theatrics at the beginning of the episode very much put me in mind of wanting to compare the C2 Lelouch relationship to the Roger Dorothy relationship from the mm. Big O. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, obviously there's some obvious similarities between C2 and Dorothy alone, you know, characters that are ageless, caught up in the mystery of the setting, 
both relationships are often expressed in terms of contracts. Certainly everything Roger does is expressed in terms of contracts, but you know, I think C2 and Lelouch do that as well. And I think, too, some of the, you know, I think C2 and Lelouch are a little more playful. Dorothy's often more deadpan. But nonetheless, you have an element of, of sarcasm there. And so I was just kind of putting that into my brain, uh, just sort of thinking about, especially just because I feel like the contract part is the part that makes it stand out. You know, the the idea of, a, of an accomplice who's caught up in the mystery, that's that's yeah, that's a pretty well-worn trope. I think I I searched TV tropes to figure out if they had a name for it, and their name was Mysterious Wave, which you know seems to work well enough. Um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I wonder, I wonder what Andy would think if to hear you. Compare, I do wonder C uh, two to to Dorothy in this way. Um, uh, Stephen, did you have a thought instantly? Should I? I I I have an idea about this. I had one quick thought because I wanted to praise some of the scripting, at least the dub. I like their banter. It happened early on. Uh, PMC already really alluded to it, like specifically citing it. It's when, like, early in the episode, Lelouch Gias is a soldier. He takes his nightmare. That's when C two has the line about like you're all about spectacle. And then Lelouch says, "I don't want to hear that from an, an impartial witch like you." Or no, excuse me, sorry, I wrote my notes wrong. An immortal witch like you. And there's like some fun, like because on the same level here, like the show isn't elevating Lelouch above everyone. They're having like what I call like classic married couple banter, where they're taking like some very playful jabs, and I really like that. Unfortunately for me, C two too often plays the role of jilted lover, and that stuff bums me out. I want more of this like married couple banter that kind of like Dor- uh, Roger has with uh, Dorothy. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I I think part of the fun of a character like C2 or Dorothy, who I think where they're similar is is that they, they both kind of claim an amount of ownership over Roger and slash or Lelouch in a way that some of the disparate other female characters or characters uh, uh, that are clamoring for the affection of the main character. I, I don't want to limit this to strictly female in the case of Lelouch. Um, and maybe Roger, who knows, with season two. <laughs> um, although, you know what? Roger had a boyfriend in Secret Agent Old Man. I forgot. they were they, Those two had a tryst in that episode uh, when he made... Uh, oh, when, <laughs> when they made breakfast? That Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but in any case, you know, the the part of the fun of, of that is watching how, you know... There is an angle here, of course, where it gets tiresome and, and gendered, right? Where it's it's almost like the the sitcom version of this is like like uh, 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 mother in law jokes, right? Where it's like you know this thing that maybe has a kernel of truth to it, but has become such a cliche that it's it's embarrassing to even try and bring it up. Um, but with uh, characters like Dorothy and C two, you almost do want to see how they decide to handle a situation like that right and and often the those kinds of expressions can be like it can be super annoying when it feels like the only way uh, a female character gets to express themselves this way is at the behest of like this male character and and competition with another woman that's especially where it can get frustrating is the sense that that female characters can only relate to one another via this lens um, but on the other hand, I, I I do like in the case of Dorothy, for example, the the little things like her tearing up um uh what's her name's business card, uh Angel's business card at the end of the episode. That just that implication is fun, right? Mm. And like we don't see her do it, and maybe that's why it works for me. Um versus like in the next episode, uh Kalen will have a a, a couple of different beats with C two 
that like kind of work in isolation, but are, when you add them together, are clearly like one of they're like vying for Lelouch yeah. attention between the two of them. Like very, very clearly, they're establishing that kind of. Uh, I keep using the word friction. I don't want to depend on it too much, but they're, they're going up against each other in that way, right? And that's where it doesn't. There, it, where it's different to me uh, is where it's it's a little bit more explicit and indulgent in the way that that uh, I think the Big O with Roger and Dorothy understands the sort of like uh, what's the term I'm looking for? There isn't really like a specific one, but the kind of like the the pleasure. I I hate to sound like a weird pervert putting it that way, but <laughs> the pleasure of of not of it not going there ever right of of like that will they won't they yeah. kind of drama being like you know it's there even though you like we all understand we all know who's singing that end credits right we all understand what's going on between those two characters but the show doesn't have to acknowledge it like we don't have to acknowledge it like you, you guys can write about it afterwards in fact please please do so but code Geass doesn't take that route because i think with code Geass, there's an angle again. I, I don't want to be cynical or, or about this, but I think there is that angle of like the readers are debating these pairings, right? Like, oh, it's gonna is it Lulu and C two, or is it the Lulu and Kalen, or is it the Lulu and you know yeah. Shirley fans? There's who an are ongoing struggle for territory, right? Exactly in, in a way that I think, and I think that's the main difference, right? Is that they're really the the drama that could exist between Dorothy and Angel is like way more uh uh left to the audience in a way that the drama just isn't for C2 and and Lelouch. Yeah. But I do agree with with you know Steven Hero on the, the grounds, you know, to get back to what I was saying before, I I I do kind of like when she gets to interact with Kalen in these ways. Even though I I can see transparently what they're trying to do, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's apt. I think it's definitely worth thinking about. Yeah. Now I, 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 maybe later I'll, I'll, I'll ask, uh, Andy directly as our expert on Dorothy. <laughs> I don't even know if he's seen Code Geass. Probably not. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, well, like we can tell him there's a great, there's a great podcast that he can listen to and, yeah, and that's watch true. it, you know? That's a good point. Um, but yeah, uh, that kind of puts us at the end of, of episode two into episode three. I am taking command. This is not a grab for political power. It's a temporary measure. I swear it in the name of my princess. I came here to kill. Zero. It's my cell phone. Nothing else. All right, I'm going to turn on, I'm going to put on my Code Geass hat, uh, which looks like Zero's mask thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm not going to put it on over my head. I'm going to, like, one-handed sort of, like, angle it on like Lelouch kind of putting his fingers in front of his face you know Hero Yui style alright anyway I miss Hero um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true don't quote me on that um, anyway episode 3 uh, Steven do you have the uh, you have the title for me for episode 3 I should have looked it up I didn't imprisoned in campus <laughs> wait a minute they're not even on campus they're in the mall or something they're mall rats in this episode. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Rollo Tony Browntown has come to the Chinese Federation to kill Zero, assuming Lelouch has regained his memories and has resumed his position. However, he's called by Valletta, later revealed to be working alongside him, to report that Lelouch is back at the high school, not giving the speech. Turns out, it was the classic switcheroo, and C2 was dressed as Zero and playing a pre-recorded speech. 
Lelouch has to continue his charade in order to keep Nunnally safe, he figures, and decides to move in on Rolo Tony Browntown at the first opportunity, as the closest and most standout item in his new life. To that end, he utilizes an opening provided to him by Shirley to orchestrate a complicated gambit, which allows him to corner Rolo, uh, and at that moment, Rolo reveals his Gios to Lelouch, which appears to be the ability to stop time, and he gets the better of him. At the same moment, it seems the Chinese Federation has turned on the Black Knights. Alright, so... Uh, we've got kind of new stuff going on mixed with the same sort of, like, if it rhymes, it rhythm sort of thing. Uh, you know, I mentioned the classic switcheroo because this is a thing we saw Lelouch pull in season one as well in order to get away with his dual identity thing. That's fine. Uh, I'm okay with nobody remembering that recordings exist, <laughs> you know? That's fine. Um, one of the first beats that I did want to call out here, though, um is Kalen's reaction to the reveal of, of the, of the, uh, deception, right? Um, unless, you know, cause obviously it's not the first thing that happens. Uh, uh, Rolo Tony doesn't quite, uh, go through with, with his attack on the Chinese Federation, which I feel like is interesting. Um, I, I guess the Chinese Federation guys would have no way of knowing that that's like Rolo, you know, like that, who that kid is, but it feels like, it feels like a weird thing to have a kid roll up in a pretty fancy looking, uh, what do they call these? Mechs? Nightmare uh, frames. Nightmares. Nightmare or, frames. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And a pretty fancy looking nightmare frame and be like, hey, I'm here to kill Zero. And then to get a phone call and then be like, uh, never mind. Bye. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe they did have a conversation with the Chinese Federation ambassador and were like, uh, maybe this is something we should consider, but that's not shown to us in the show. Mm-hmm. Um I do so th- Rolo get oh oh go ahead. I was just gonna say something that I've been thinking about, and this is this is me thinking too much about mechanics, but I know Code Geass loves loves mechanics and tricks and, and all that sort of stuff. And I can't help but feel uh you know, noting that I I feel like the the show is constantly trying to show us um, the sort of weaknesses in like new people's powers, because uh, presumably when he, a- he a- yeah we see him activate the gears right at the end of the last episode, and it's like oh my god, Rollo's got got gears. What does it do? We don't know. Um, and while we don't really learn what it does until that one guy gets absolutely murked <laughs> in the episode. Right. Oh yeah, that does happen here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't learn that until then. But uh, but reflecting upon this now, you realize that like the phone call wasn't affected by it. You know, the phone call right. was just kind of going on. And, and I think the same is true maybe of like the rocks falling in the tower in the previous episode. Um, so it's, it's, I feel like, I think, you know, the show feels like it's clever maybe in deploying it this way. So I'm just calling it out to, to bring attention to it. I don't, I don't know if it's intentional. I feel like it is there. And like, I appreciate it. You know, if that's, if that's what you're putting down, I'll pick it up. So I, you guys can tell me because I you host the show with me. Is mm. it appropriate for me to complain about Rolo's power now, even though I know they haven't explained it yet? Because I, I know how this works because I watched episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and I uh, I have issues with the way his power appears. Okay, so we see him use it, and it and it kind of projects in uh, like an orb, a space around him. And it, me, I've seen some shonen anime in my life. And I see this orb around him, and time stop, and I go, Dio? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I go, huh. It's a world. <laughs> and, 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 and that's, you know, that's fine. I, I imagine that 
Time Stopper is a, it's a classic. Of course, Hirohiko Araki did not invent Time Stopper from its villains. Of course not. Um, but the way it appears to work, because PMC, you are you are very wise and powerful to point out that he receives a phone call after activating his Gias here, because it, it would kind of bring up the question of how exactly it's supposed to work. Because it does appear to be time stopping, but he does, like as you point out, receive a phone call, which wouldn't, you know, I'm I'm no time physics expert, mm-hmm. but I would think it would be hard to receive phone calls if you existed outside of time. But who knows? Um, it, it's fine. I think it is it is clever of the writing to include something like that if it was on purpose, and I think in this case it was. Yeah, I, um, think, I think so. Yeah, I think PMC is correct. Um, but yeah, I I kind of uh, time mm, time travel is tricky. Always. And and I know, obviously, we're not... This isn't time travel we're talking about here in particular. Um, I just feel like it is very easy to get yourself into narrative trouble when you have characters that can control an element of physics like that. Like, you know, it, it, I, I get it. It's fine. We're It's not in this episode. We'll deal with it when we get to it. You know what I mean? It seems like he can stop time. That's pretty strong. You know, good good for Rolo, I guess. Um, Kalen, upon realizing what's going on with this, uh, this, uh, this speech to the, the masses, uh, she, she has a reaction to it. She's not super jazzed about this constant deception from the Black Knights. Like, you know, now having a bit of a, a peek behind the curtain, I feel like she's not comfortable anytime she is surprised by a tactic that they're taking, right? Because now she's learned that she can't necessarily 100% trust the source, you know? Like, and she's learned kind of the hard way that there's other shit going on with the Black Knights. And I'm not sure how much of that has been, like, internalized, you know? I don't know if that's... That might be me projecting, right? Like, I'm hoping that's kind of the, the, the lessons that she's learned from this whole Lelouch scenario, but... Um, I appreciated this as a character beat for Kalen. Uh, I, I, anytime that these kind of competent side characters, and unfortunately Kalen is kind of a side of supporting character, anytime they get to be shown to be learning the lessons that the text is imparting, you know, it's such a low bar to clear, but I do appreciate, you know, uh, again, this, this interaction is a kind of a, you know, I hate to call it a cat fight, but it, it kind of is that sort mm, of like, yeah gendered kind of like you know uh it, it's not as explicitly bad as it could be it gets worse later when um uh c2 is meeting with the chinese federation while kalen is in the shower and i guess kalen didn't know i guess kalen forgot or something i don't know it's fine it doesn't matter i did like the beat of kalen being like hey wait a minute <laughs> I'm thinking about it now, and I think you should have been in the buddy suit. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Kalen, you, she really should have been. C2 took advantage of you because she's a million-year-old witch, and that's just all there is to it, unfortunately. Um, we do see Suzaku uh, in this episode working on behalf of the Britannian government in a militaristic fashion, which is to say, I guess they're invading Italy? It seems they declared war on Europe. Actually, the OVA came out after R2, Akito the Exile. I think that's what it's called. It deals with these intervening months between R1 and R2. I watched the trailer. It looks like what happened was Charles used a, like, brainwashed Lelouch and Suzaku and, like, threw them in some missions in Europe at the time. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I it's thrown back by that. I just it's got not sh- it's not held in high damage. regard from Code Code Geass fans. So that's saying something. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, 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 Joey from Brooklyn did mention in the last episode something about their war with the UN, um, or maybe it was Guns Girl. Uh, I can't remember. Someone certainly did mention that. Um, uh, but yeah, we see that the Italy has got some um, some uh, um, armored core guys. Uh, uh, you could tell they're armored core guys because they got guns for hands. Uh, uh, a classic, you know. A I, classic. Why would I waste time holding a gun when I could just be a gun? You know. Uh, uh, at PMC, I feel like you're our, our armored core. How did you feel about the Italy mechs? I think they look, I think they look great. I'm ready to go to war. I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> we can win the, look, we could win this fight. Suzaku isn't shit. Yeah. There's just one guy. It's just one guy. Steven, what do you think about the Italy, uh, nightmares? If they're I, called that. I like the, these little jobbers. I could actually find their name. I just didn't have enough descriptors to refer to them to get like the, the, the image to pop up on Google image search, but I like them a yeah. lot. Yeah, Code Geass, Italy, Armored Core dealies probably wouldn't, wouldn't give you a whole lot. Um, <laughs> I like how the, that, the the Western mech represents or mirrors or reflects Western design sensibilities. I don't think that's what they're going for, but I liked it nevertheless. Because, of course, the Lancelot, which looks like a very Japanese mech also, you know, originated in Europe, or I guess the United States, but, you know. Yeah, I I always forget, by the way, that the Holy Britannian Empire is the United States or where the United States of America would be and Canada and Mexico. I always forget that because, you know, I, I hear Holy Britannian Empire and I'm like, oh, OK, so it's like a UK and stuff. It's it's like it, it, Britain, you know, I shouldn't say UK. I should say Britain. I'm sure uh, or, uh, you know, there would be I would I would love to see. Anyway, I shouldn't go there with with <laughs> anyway. Yeah, let's Brexit uh, from this conversation. You know, I, well, I was just going to say, I wonder <laughs> if there's like a holy uh, 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 Northern Ireland Empire somewhere that has feelings about the Holy Britannian Empire. I would love if the um, IRA was still fighting somewhere in this world, just chucking <laughs> bombs at the Britannian Empire. No, I don't want to make light of anything. That's the main thing I don't want to do. I just, I feel like if there is a Holy Britannian Empire, there should be a relatively large, very mm-hmm. angry Irish mech empire. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I should, again, not making light. But in any case, um, I I feel like one of the things that we, we get to in this episode is a return to the sort of interstitial high school episodes that we, we got in in season one. Like, you know, we, we've complained about the Mao episodes, but something I did like in the Mao episodes were, were the, the times where Lelouch and Suzaku would have to work together in order to access Mao's, you know, weird underground waterfall under the high school, which, by the way, is back, <laughs> has returned as a location. And I was like, oh, OK, that's fine. I guess Mao must have happened because this location is back. Um, but, but yeah, stuff like that is, is, I, I assume going to return in this season. Um, we see elements of that returning. Um, Rivals gets the Luch fucking good. <laughs> this, this is the sort of roast that was very familiar to me. I feel like this is the sort of thing I can imagine saying to a friend of mine, a very specific friend of mine. Um, uh, when he's like, Luch is the type to have all his financial records kept somewhere. And Luch is like, wait, how'd you know about that? <laughs> and Rivals is like, wait, for real? <laughs> really? That was a joke. Yeah, I got you. I I appreciate anything like that where Rivals gets to win something. I'm deeply afraid Rivals is going to die miserable and alone is the thing. I'm I'm concerned about all like, you know, most of these high school kids. Not Millie. She seems like the 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 marriage to Lloyd 
will keep her safe relatively. Like, I feel like she could just... No, listen, she could... I don't know. I think could... that's a risk. I think, I think Millie's in more danger than Rivals. I think, I think proximity to Lloyd is, like, just a big smoking crater waiting to happen. She'll be rolling around like... that blood money sooner or later. Well, what I'm thinking is that... Because Lloyd has no interest in her. She could just live in some house somewhere. Like, she doesn't need to be nearby at all. She could just be some, some you know, not... No offense to Millie. I'm sure Millie is a character who I generally like, despite the way that she's characterized as, like all of her pervert stuff is allowed to happen because she's a woman. Like that's the, that thing that happens with Millie's character. Whatever I'm about to get to really. Um, but I'm just saying like compared to Rivals, who is like almost been wholeheartedly replaced by Rolo in the like fiction of the new Lelouch life. I'm just concerned. I feel like both uh, Rivals and Shirley are in deep danger of dying miserably and alone. <laughs> like, uh, but we'll we'll get there. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll never get there. Actually, Rivals, I want to be the true victor of the Code Geass canon. Um, uh, but you know this this is almost kind of fun. You know we do we get to see Lelouch look through a a, a, a uh, I imagine this is why the time is a little bit squishy for me because there's this whole like uh, uh like photo album of events that that uh you know Lelouch and Rolo have taken part in and like you know I'm not a I'm not a dummy. They could have edited some fucking photos and put just Rolo's dumb face in there. Um, and it, it, it's just that sort of thing. It, it makes it a little bit weird to pick specifically how long everything has been since stuff has occurred. And it's fine. I don't care that much. Um, but we do get to see Rolo being more of a little creep here. Uh, you know, he shows up and he's like, why are you looking at photos, big brother? What? That's a weird thing to do, right? And I'm like, no, Rolo, this is a relatively normal <laughs> thing to do is to look at memories. <laughs> and and so uh, Lelouch, he, he kind of puts to the, the sort of thing together that I, I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago, which is that, you know, it it's not to say impossible for someone like Rolo to have a keychain like the one he does, but it feels like, uh, you know, the one that he gave to Nunnally instead of the one he gave to Rolo and. You know, Lelouch tries a, a a fun little gambit where he's like, "Hey, man, I, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I should get you something cooler." And and Rolo has a has a good old uh, like Smeagol hiss he's got here, and when he's like, "No, it's mine, it's mine," and you know, uh, I find this interesting considering how quickly this this is going to get blown. Like this relationship between the two of them is over at the end of this episode, <laughs> unless the Gius, like, unless. Rolo's Gius works in a way that is completely different from how I think uh, it should work, which is to say just that time stop power. And like he, you know, somehow recontextualizes their relationship once again. It's so weird that he, he's going to keep this mystery about like, does Rolo have an actual attachment to the Nunnally keychain or does Rolo feel like he needs to perform this in order to maintain the, the facade that he's doing. I don't know. It's just, it's quite a choice, you know, to go so extreme with it is all I'm saying. Um, but yeah, million charge also means that the events are strictly inappropriate. Like they're <laughs> all like, like, did you see that shit? Like there's, so like, there's like a normal Christmas, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, that community joke about, uh, Christmas events being sexy, you know, there's, there's that, uh, what what was the heartbreak competition? What the fuck is that? Like what, what what is that? Why did they have an enormous trophy for Rivals? That's so brutal. I mean, sometimes when you when you when you like 
throw someone to the ground, you have to have a heavy object ready to like smash them with it. And I guess that was just the situation there. It's just so brutal, and I don't understand why it exists. And it's fine. I, you know, I Millie's got this this game going, and and she's you know she's got her thing. Uh. I, I don't remember if we've mentioned this but already, but uh, Valletta is working with Rolo. It turns out Valletta has her memories intact, as far as we can tell. Uh, uh, which you know, that's some that's which is pretty cold stuff. That means he definitely remembers shooting uh, Ogi and and turning him into the authorities. Uh, Ogi, who is is being threatened with execution in this episode. Uh, uh, I believe, right? This is this episode where Gilbert Gottfried is like, I've got your... No, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I gave up instantly. I can't believe I uh, have to clarify that Valletta has non-Gius amnesia at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah, This yeah, is yeah, where yeah, we yeah. are For, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I miss um, Coach Valletta. I, 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 I wish they stuck with that. I wish she was just... Lost her memory for whatever reason, but she was. she's now an innocent. And, you know, I, I, oof, I don't know. I kind of like Coach Valletta. The coach, yeah, the, here's the thing about sports coaches, though, Stephen, is they're never innocent. I don't know. That's true. I mean, <laughs> they're almost all in that regard. Like it's a pretty clear red flag a lot of the time. Well, she knows it where the bodies like. are buried. She just do a lot of drinking, maybe to uh, drink away her sins. I just, I, it's just what the 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 sort of Akasha and the way that all this whole status quo was set up. I was really ready for the reveal of some kind of like reality shifting thing. Like, and, and I. I wish it was that it would make a lot of this stuff easier to swallow if I just understood that like, oh, like the the emperor has control over the fabric of reality. And is like that part of the the thing that that uh, Lelouch will have to overcome is the fact that like the rules are literally stacked against him. I was ready for that reveal. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's not what's happening or at least not yet. Like, it, it seems just like th this new status quo is just the result of some memory swapping and not a, a more, uh, uh, like, hardcore restructuring of reality. You know, a la the Scarlet Witch or something like that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, uh, Rolo and Valletta meet at Mao's Waterfall. They are basically on a team that is dedicated to shadowing Lelouch and making sure that Lelouch can no longer assume the role of Zero and if he does, you know, to execute him, and like, I guess this is just to find C two. Yeah, and to bait out C two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, as as called out by PMC, uh, uh, we see a moment where uh, a a hapless guy uh, sort of just walks in and 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 gets uh, uh, executed by Rollo Tony Browntown. Uh, and Valetta's like, "How many have you done now?" Like, I, this is interesting <laughs> to me because I I feel like the OP of the show hints. Like there's a, there's one slide of the OP where you see Valletta and Ogie back to back, and I do wonder if that foreshadows that Valletta will will begin to be mindful of like maybe we're the baddies, and this is like a moment I would I would take from the text so far to be like, yeah, she seems like a little unhappy about the wholesale slaughter of people by Rolo. Um, I don't know if that's gonna bear any fruit, but I, I definitely took note of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. It's so hard to track some of these these beats because it's so hard to imagine she wouldn't understand what she's doing and who she's working for at this point. But this show is also ridiculous, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe that like an elite military organization, an intelligence gathering agency, you know, 
provided resources and men and women from the most powerful empire in the world cannot ascertain the identity of Zero, cannot connect the dots between Zero and Lelouch. I cannot believe that Rolo can't. Like, I guess the Emperor wants to keep anything having to do with the Gios under wraps and, like, on a need-to-know basis, but Rolo has a Gios. I cannot... I, it, it beggars disbelief. It, it bothers me so much. Well, it doesn't bother me so much, but it bothers me a bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's fine. It's one of those things where, like, uh, I, I I think it is tough to uh, always justify how a rebellious force is escaping the notice of what's supposed to be an all-powerful enemy, right? Like, I think I, I agree with you that Code Geass uh, is stretching its credibility sometimes with some of these choices. Like, I don't know. How much freedom and access does Rolo Tony Brown Town have? Does he have something like the equivalent of Doctor Who's like psychic paper where he can flash it to soldiers and he just gets what he needs, right? Like, I don't I don't know if the... Because his time-stopping Gius wouldn't be like a, a, an all-expenses-pass paid for anything he wants in the same way. Like, obviously he could, you know, quote-unquote stop time and just take what he needs or kill who he needs to or whatever, but it's not the same thing as you know walking up to a guy and and asking him to punch the fire alarm for you you know what i mean like yeah. that's it's not going to accomplish what you need in the same direct way um i don't know it's 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 something that i, I feel like we're gonna have to uh uh probably just let go as the story demands you know the code Geass is not afraid to pull that trigger when it when it needs to um yeah i could say the same thing about like how did um C2 and or Lelouch contact the Chinese embassy and, like, get that alliance hashed out. Oh, yeah. Like, as far as, like, uh, you know, I there's no way that the, the Chinese Federation knew ahead of time the plan was blow up half of the building to smush, you know, Admiral Kolaris and then use the Chinese Federation, which happens to be nearby as their escape plan. Do you know what I mean? Like, that seems like they came up with that on the fly, but that's fine. Again, uh, you know, it's fine. Whatever. It, it is a thing I'm willing to let go. Um, so yes, Gilbert Gottfried is going to kill, uh, Ogi and the captured, uh, other, uh, Black Knights as a, an attempt to lure out Zero, although that's not resolved in this episode. Um, hopefully, I mean, I, I hope they weren't executed off screen. <laughs> that wouldn't be frustrating. It seems not. I, I agree with PMC or, or Steven Hero regarding the, the Ogi Valletta. Usually if that shit's in the intro, that means something, usually. It doesn't have to, because, you know, anyway. Uh, Shirley approaches Lelouch and is like, "Hey, I've I'm I've, I've been assigned to go buy my teacher birthday gift, but I'm I'm useless at this." And and Lelouch is like, "Score! I love suckers. <laughs> I love I love having suckers I can take advantage of." Um, and and so volunteers to go with Shirley shopping. Uh, uh, and you know, I really I I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because uh, I have definitely made my feelings known about this in season one. Um, but the, this is a the opportunity for the show to remind us, for anybody who wasn't around for season one, that, that this is not the first time that Lelouch and Shirley have uh, crossed paths and where uh, Shirley is, in fact, a, a victim of Lelouch's uh, 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 ambitions. And the show... Man, the show really still... Mm. the show really still doesn't have, I think a very firm command of exactly what went down in, in, in that scenario. And I, I don't think we should rehash it. I, I, I think, you know, 
you you two my friends are are probably well aware of how i feel about this show kind of bringing this up like this and and trying to to paint lelouch and and what he did as as something forgivable or worth like you know kind of setting aside like he he says that he's going to make it up to her someday and you know my i guess i'm supposed to you know, I guess gold star for Lelouch or something like that. I don't know. So I'd, I guess I'll ask you guys because I feel like the audience probably knows how I feel about all this, which is to say poorly. How, how do you guys feel about this sort of uh, plot point coming back up again? I I've, I thought the way that they brought it up for first, I first off agree that I do not think the show has put squarely in, in its focus the culpability of Lelouch as regards to the events with, with him guillacing Shirley. Uh, and furthermore, I feel like the way it's handled here is particularly sort of ham-fisted just because, you know, it's done in this way where, where Luch has to reflect on it and sort of brought brought upon him unexpectedly, which, like, if Luch isn't constantly thinking about that anytime he's with Shirley, like, really? Like, you know, like, mm, I don't know about this, about this brother, especially... There's a there's like a text plot point here, which is that we're we're put in the mindset of thinking about how deep the conspiracy goes in terms of the work that they had to do to replace Nunnally with Rollo, a sort of you know the the the, the conspiracy of how much work made that happen. Um, but like once you put that aside, you're you're left with Lelouch hasn't learned anything and is and is almost sort of like what aboutism with this, where he's like, well. You know, you rewrote their memories without consent. That was pretty bad. Mm, have you thought about that? And it's so, yeah, it's, I don't know much, if there's much further to say than that. Uh, but that's kind of, I, I was, I was laughing because I felt like this was so poorly handled. Yeah. It was way too convenient. It was almost as, almost didactic, almost as if like Akuchi was reading my notes, criticizing Lelouch's characterization and put a very explicit like counter their memories rewritten without their consent. I just can't let things go on like this. And actions speak louder than words. I have a feeling R2 is going to revisit this. And I think my final assessment is either going to be too little or too late. Or yeah. Lelouch, put your money where your mouth is. I will say, I could imagine like like, a, like fans of Lelouch listening to this and going, well, it doesn't matter what Lelouch does. You're going to hate him no matter what. And I kind of sympathize with that reading. It's just that... It needs to be more meaningful, and I understand how frustrating that criticism can be for someone because meaningful is inherently a very general and abstract term, but he needs to reflect on it for more than 30 seconds, and he also has to act on those beliefs. So yes, you think manipulating people is bad? Well, why don't we spend some time with Shirley when you're not manipulating with her? Because every time you're in a room with her, you're using her for your own ends, it's always for you. It's never on an equal footing. So I hope we see, if we do see some growth from Lelouch, I hope we see some actions, not just some like 30 second monologues. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very uncomfortable with the way the show treats the character of Shirley. Like, I don't, I, again, I feel like I, I harp on this a lot, but it, it, she feels very disposable. And for her to be the, the like catalyst for these like Lelouch man pain things just makes me very eye rolly. So like, you know, if they build off of this and, and, and in the future, I'm, I'll be the first one. You, you guys know me. I'll be the first one to say like, you know what? Mea culpa. 
They they've they did address it. It's still not enough for me, but I'll give you the loose heads that. But you know, we'll see how that goes moving forward. I'm I'm I'll be very surprised if that that's what's going on. The writers too might have thought that after the fact, because in the compilation movies, Lelouch never Gioses Shirley, so maybe that was a they thought that was a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so it's so bizarre to me because it feels like the Shirley is an element that isn't like that they feel the need to address because of her proximity to Lelouch and the like teenage, like in a lot of ways, I'm afraid that she kind of represents like, you know, for Steven heroes, love simulation games. Hmm. Like she would be like the default option, like the, the quote unquote boring one, like the safest choice, so to speak. Um, versus like your Kalen as the, the medium and the, the C2 is the hardest, right? Like usually the, 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 you know, not to, to speak too much on this, but usually the, the character with the most like friction with the your character is the one that's hardest to interact with. That's usually they to gamify human relationships, that's usually the hard mode one. Um and that's the kind of feeling I get with, with Shirley that there's always kind of a uh minimum effort with Shirley because she's not a revolutionary and she's not somebody who's part of the nobility and so they don't know what to do with her other than to fool her or to to you know use her as a a pawn or to use her as a victim right like that that's the thing i'm concerned about but hopefully hopefully the future is different hopefully the future is cool and good sidebar Um, you know what i really liked and also disliked what is lelouch wearing his casual (laughs) wear is it's kind of perfect because, of course, Lelouch would dress himself like this. Maybe it's a style meant to be emulated and lauded, but it just comes across as, like, how can this outfit be comfortable, stylish, or even, like, expressive? It just seems, I don't know, so disjointed. But that's kind of perfect because, like, that's exactly how Lelouch would dress if he had to dress himself as he was going out, you know, about the town. I forgot that I didn't watch Gundam Wing with my partner because when I saw this outfit with Luch on screen, I was like, hell yeah, male boy fashion in my mecha show. Let's go. My partner's <laughs> looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, no. I mean, fashion baby is important, okay? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It, fashion baby is very important. But no, I mean, you both forget that this is the far future of 2018. <laughs> yeah. And that's really why we can't recognize this the, these fashion choices. Although I will say that I, I think that um, uh, Shirley's outfit is very cute. I think her top and the colors, I think that that is a very nice outfit. But no, Lelouch is, is, is like a disaster. Both this and his disguise are a disaster. I almost wanted um, a, some more bells and whistles because I wanted to do the Final Fantasy A2 meme with the protagonist there, you know, making fun of all his clothing choices, but there's just not enough to hang my hat on. The the disguise so, outfit is like a world ends with you bootleg or something. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. <laughs> it, he does. It does look like he's wearing every main character's <laughs> outfit from the world ends with you at once, basically. Um, and I'm, I'm, I respect that. Uh, so, I mean... Uh, this plan at the mall is essentially to utilize the, uh, uh, gosh, I really wanted to have a more substantive conversation about this, but I really, I don't even know how to begin, uh, because I, I feel like I don't understand enough the, the effect of America's war on terror on the, on the globe. I really don't know how much, cause I see this stuff. Where um, the 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 mall has a understood across all stores code that stands for terrorist action, 
which the show establishes that the like you know will maximilian please report to the is is like code which essentially means there's there's a threat a terrorist threat and all the employees are aware of it through that like that to me is very much the relic of like you know it's like airport security of of like a war on terror right and i wasn't sure off the dome how much of that those sorts of policies would have spread to japan and how much of that was a reflection of reality in Japan or was a reflection of reality in America. Like, you know, if anybody travels to America or from America, they're going to experience that shit, right? So it wouldn't be impossible for for creatives to have, like, been through fucking, you know, uh, an L.A. airport or New York airport and been like, what the fuck, you know? Um, And so I was curious, I was thinking about this um, and the way that Lelouch is able to take advantage of the you know, one might call it paranoia, but one also might call it readiness of, you know, the, the, the state to, to act on terrorist action in order to throw up a smoke screen, essentially, right? To basically give uh, the, the people spying on them exactly what they think they want using two guest, you know, agents. One, the cell phone guy who punches the uh, fire alarm in the first place that causes the panic. And then the other being the, the spy who's, who's, Maybe this spy seems to be spying in the way that I play Hitman, which is to say I'm very, very poor at subterfuge and I'm very, very close to my target at all times Um, because this guy is bad. This is not good following. (laughs) Um, So he gets got and and Giast and is given, you know, bad information. Uh, I, I believe this is the Scorpion agent. That uh, Valletta is referred to. That's you my know? favorite voice in the dub. Is the guy who's like, "What about the scorpion input?" <laughs> <laughs> so they get some bad input and decide to act on it, and so they all abandon their posts or whatever. Um, and Rollo Tony Browntown returns to the post and and finds it abandoned, and that's when he runs into Lelouch, who who has him cornered, except he doesn't because of time travel. Um, at the same time. Uh, the Chinese Federation uh, it seemingly turns on the Black Knights, and that's more or less the last note of Episode Three. Um, you know, I, I guess to to follow up on that thing I was talking about with the 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 uh, uh, war on on terror stuff and and the the uh, loot taking care of the state of the security. Does does any of that were you did it, any of that kind of like uh, uh, ring any bells for you guys or did anything like? I, I just couldn't stop thinking about that, where, like, that is very typical for me, but I wasn't sure if they're speaking to that, right? Or if it's just something that is, you know, it, maybe I underestimate the amount that, that the, the war on terror has affected the global community. I really don't know. Does any of that? Oh, I think you're. I think you're spot on because number one, remember, we're still in the the Bush the years. Both seasons are still in the Bush years. Not to say that this wouldn't continue in future administrations, but this stuff is all over Gundam Zero Zero, which I believe the either the first season. So it either went Gundam Zero Zero, Code Geass season one, Gundam Zero Zero, Code Geass season two, or vice versa. But very much Gundam Zero Zero, which I think shared some talent either with the Code Geass team or um, interesting. They you know. They were well aware of each other's projects and were like in active conversation with each other. But Gundam Zero Zero was a direct reaction. At least you can see it reacting to like 9-11 and the war on terror. So I think that's a really astute observation. And Japan wasn't completely isolated either. They did send troops into Iraq. So these issues definitely reverberated uh, throughout Japan. Well, 
so part of Ben and PMC, I don't mean to cut you off if you had something to say, but part of the reason I bring this up is because, like, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but none of this shit has anything to do <laughs> with with the actual global war on terror, and it's very strange to to put these things in, in my opinion. <laughs> like, they really, they're not speaking to the moment at all. It really, it's, it feels more like exploitation in a way. Like, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not sitting here being like, this is a problem. Because I'm sure 24 or American shit does this all the time. Like, what I'm saying is that I don't know what they were meaning to accomplish. Like, if they were trying to add some kind of verisimilitude to it, it instead just makes me kind of scoff at it in a way in a way that makes that is probably not what they were intending but yeah i think know, it was just it very much in the air at the time yeah it's like geist yeah because you know when when you're trying to do the the clever unfurling of our hero lelouch's plot you know you have to grab whatever's at hand and i think you know combining what, what you two said it's like well you know we have these ideas that are you know with us in our, our current events and also you know is double O is reflecting on them. We'll just, you know, they they have terrorist warnings at the mall. There you go. Yeah. Well, so part of the reason I bring this up is like, you know, they're using the bad guys in the show. This is part of what I was trying to get to with the Britannians earlier and the way that the, they deploy language in the show. The bad guys in the show refer to our heroes as terrorists, right? Like specifically using the English word terrorists. And the show is on during... The Bush administration, as you put it, pointed out, and the war on terror is going on, and that's distinctly the language that they're using here in order to characterize our protagonists. And basically, what I'm trying to get at is like, to what end? Like, what what are they are are they trying to make a statement about like terrorism in general, or or how powers in the state can use? terminology like that to form a like this is why i'm like why are they doing this is essentially the question i'm asking like like because if if it's i'm my, my what i suspect is that it is just flavor that it is just the sort of thing that a teenager can go like wow i never thought about it terrorists could be heroes depending on your point of view like if i i suspect <laughs> it's largely that you know but like I feel like that kind of sucks, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I feel like that's some bullshit, and, and it isn't really a good enough reason to be kind of pulling this stuff. But, you know, there's we're only three episodes in. Maybe maybe there's more to it than that, and if I give it some time, it'll unfurl itself and reveal that there's a, there's a thing that it's doing, and we will see as we move forward. But were there any other thoughts that you guys had about episode two or episode three of Code Geass? I think that about covers it for me. My my early thoughts on R2, because I know R2 is not well regarded either in the general fandom or in the Code Geass fandom. Fans, a lot of fans, I can't speak for everyone, of course, but a lot of fans really look fondly, look back fondly on season one. I don't dislike R2 as of now as much as I anticipated. I, I definitely feel the time slot change. Um, for lack of a better descriptor, it definitely feels more anime than season one. I could definitely feel like yeah. like classic, like you know, Full Metal Alchemist, Gundam C time slot feels. I feel that Full Metal Alchemist. But I think the show it's less preachy than season one, and I appreciate that for it. Again, I don't have a better descriptor other than like it's kind of leaning into the dumbness, and I appreciate it for that. Like, I highlighted those, not that JRPGs are quote-unquote dumb, but, like, the silly JRPG stuff that, like, I couldn't help but notice in the first the first three episodes. And I'm fine with it 
if it doesn't try to intellectualize these things too much, and if it positions Suz- I know it won't, but if it positions Suzaku as a villain and not like both sides it, I can get behind it and definitely be. Hopefully, I could definitely enjoy R two more than others have, perhaps. Yeah, I think to respond to that, I'm. It's very interesting to me because I, I think my experience has been similar. I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, now deeply concerned about what the future holds for us. Like, if if people who like this show don't like how season two rolls out, I'm very concerned about what my reaction will be moving forward. But who knows? Maybe the thing that they dislike is something I can find a little bit more of an angle on than they can. Sometimes it just takes that sort of different paradigm, you know? All right. Uh, I guess on that note, then, we're, we're going to go ahead and sign off here. We will catch you next week for episodes four and five of Code Geass R2. I was your host, one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox. Steven Hero. PMC Trilogy. And we can catch you next time, or we will, will catch you next time, when Spike Spencer will creep us out <laughs> miserably some more, I'm sure. He's doing great, but also, Rolotelli Browntown. It's real quick. <laughs> it's Kenobi Milad. Kenobi Milad. <laughs> Four Guinnesses. Oh, Grievous? Oh. Yeah, Grievous. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.